by the way, here's our spoiler alert. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Welcome to the Sincast. We are doing a mini pod of Star Trek Beyond, which means we lied last time. We said we were going to do Born, Jason Bourne next, but we lied. We straight up lied to you, but we're going to give you more content today. But uh, anyway, I am Chris Atkinson with CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hola. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello. And Star Trek Beyond, guys, what did we think of this movie? And I liked it. Yeah, what the hell happened there? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how Barrett feels. Uh, I did like it. Yeah? I don't think I liked it as much as you guys liked it. Okay, well, uh, this could be a case of... I don't think the movie's perfect. It's got plenty of issues, uh, and we'll get into that, uh, but it's so much fun. Um, Yeah. And the cast is so engaging. They're so great with each other. They're so charming and charismatic. Um and and this movie is clearly it could have been subtitled. We really trying to capture the feel of the original show. Oh yeah, right. And uh, those who were turned off by two thousand nine Star Trek not being Trekky enough, even though I think that's a fantastic movie, um, they should be won back by this, right? Yeah, this is uh, this is something that you know could function as a Star Trek episode in mm. in many ways, and a lot of times that's not a good thing because it's like. That means it's a, something that's 30 minutes that's been stretched out to two hours. Right. But in this case, this is like a good, satisfying two-hour episode of Star Trek. And um, what I uh, liked about this immediately, and maybe this is just a function of the movies we've been seeing this summer or the past few summers or whatever, it's very simple. Yeah. yeah. There's no, like, let's go off into the woods for 15 minutes and and uh, let's prop up the next movie we're going to be making and all that. Even though there's, like, a hint of possibly what we're going to be seeing in the next Star Trek and whatever. That it's very simple like you know like hey let's go to this place oh this guy's evil let's go let's go beat him up <laughs> well it's interesting and, like one of the first things that kirk says in his captain logs is like this is starting to feel episodic yeah yeah, and yeah. this whole movie felt episodic it's, it was like such a clear uh mention of what what we're experiencing with star Trek. yeah yeah um but uh but yeah i i liked it just for the fact that it just was simple and there wasn't a lot of just like why did they do this and why did they do that and why and what uh, what uh, fan service are they doing here right. and right. and all that? It's a simple story, and yeah, and not only is it simple, but it gets really. I felt like it gets really cool towards the end of it too. Mm-hmm. Like it's um, Spot comes up with the solutions of things that need to happen and all that. It's like it's like oh that that makes a lot of sense and it's and it's cool and they're going to be able to do so and it's got and by the way here's our spoiler alerts uh, yeah. here that we're going to put at the beginning of the thing, but the best fucking use of a song in a movie uh, just for plot purposes well, I've ever seen. And yeah. I have not I have not been a big fan of the series use of 20th century music so far mm-hmm. like 
like teenage Kirk stealing a car, jamming to the Beastie Boys didn't make a ton of sense <laughs> to me. But the way the music is used here, first of all, it's there because of a crew that's hundreds of years old. So mm -hmm. they would have brought something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we get the tie back to that Beastie Boys song. And Kirk, God, Chris Pine is so good. And his line, that was a good choice. Yeah, like, yeah. It's so good. And And some of the criticisms I've seen in this movie online are that they don't, they don't explain a lot of things, but that that has never been Trek. Trek has always been techno babble. Scotty can fix it. We just need time. Like, and so I'm not bothered by any of that. The solution comes together very quickly in this movie. It does. <laughs> no one even bothers to ask how are we going to shoot them until they're right up on that enemy fleet. <laughs> That's the first time he goes. Our weapons aren't very good. Yeah. <laughs> this is your this is your typical Spock figure something out for the third act type of moment yeah the exact same thing that they do in star trek 2 when he's like uh his patterns uh yeah. indicate two-dimensional thinking and just like you know <laughs> out of nowhere and um but like in in this it's like they seem to be uh, uh flying around like bees yeah let let's find that let's find that uh that signal that's uh causing all them to coordinate and everything and and then like hey let's use this vhf uh, you know frequency to yeah. get the music to blow their i just loved that i mean it was simple but it was it made sense to me yeah. as far as um you know as far as in, yeah and yeah they come up with a solution way too soon i wish spock had said something earlier where mm -hmm. he's like they seem a little like bees to me hmm, mm. weird or whatever i'll go back to that later <laughs> yeah yeah but, yeah but they the best part about this is the rapid fire everybody's thinking on the same page and like some right. one character will say something scotty will say something sulu will say something or will say something and they're all just on the same page and then they come up with this ridiculous uh you know beastie boys idea which i cannot believe i loved yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah, it's I, just so over the top. It's perfect. Yes, yeah, they just did it right. And uh, Carl Urban, yeah, yeah, he may be better at Bones than the original. I think Bones. he is. He's he's so great in that role. He gives us the dry wit and humor, and I loved seeing him paired up with Spock in this movie for yeah. an extended period of time. Um, and I thought I actually thought all the pairings, the way they sort of separated them before bringing them back together, gave us interesting perspectives, like. Sulu and Uhura together and you know Kirk was off with Chekhov and uh, anyway I, I really enjoy the actors playing yeah, these it, characters. It almost felt like uh, you know they were sort of purposely trying to do that yeah. where they where they're trying to get characters that aren't usually interacting with right. each other to do that. By the way the when the Enterprise starts throwing just shooting off all those like pods and everything and there's like millions of crew members going off uh, where did they go? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think um, I think they're suggesting the crew is smaller than that, that the crew is maybe more like hundreds, and that many of them probably died in that assault. Because as soon as the pods start going out, the enemy ships start crashing into the pods. Oh, okay. And so I think there's only so many that get to the surface. Mm -hmm. um, but then they just are left there, I guess. <laughs> they're yeah, left on I don't the planet. Know. I don't because know. It, that was one thing I was like, yeah, okay, you, you smashed a few of them, but you didn't get them all. Well, and, and I'm tired of seeing the Enterprise get destroyed. Yeah. For the sake of, like, they even give us this moment where Kirk climbs over the ridge and sees the wreckage and has this, like, uh, like, like Morpheus mourning the Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> or whatever. And I'm just like, you've already blown up, like, one or two versions of this ship yeah. in this series so far. <laughs> like, but thankfully, it's really spectacular looking when the yeah. ship goes down and they get it out of the way right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. I love. 
like you were talking about the simplicity, um, the simplicity of the plot, and especially the villain, um, and how they tie that back around um, to their solution to get off the planet and his origin, I thought was really beautifully simple. Well, and I, at first, I was like, okay, here's another villain that they're not going to delve too deeply into, right. and he's just a bad guy or whatever, and like... I was I was worried about that, but then I realized there's really good reason for it. You know, they have the surprise, you know, that yeah. it's this guy from, you know, the USS Franklin that lands on the on the thing. And like uh and and it's also a great uh actor too. Idris Elba is yeah. playing it. Now for a while there I had X Men Apocalypse uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh flashbacks on that because I was like I was like, here's a guy buried in makeup. I know it's an actor I know. I can't figure out who it is. Yeah um but luckily i didn't because i think it would have distracted if i had known that was idris elba the whole time or yeah whatever. i spent the whole movie trying to figure out who the um white-faced girl with black yeah. streaks was now that, Me too. and that, it's the girl from kingsman kingsman mm -hmm. she's the blade yeah uh, yeah. leg chick i didn't recognize her at all but no, I, I, I thought either. she was a really fun addition she's um, fantastic i'm i'm gonna tell you right now that's the best addition in this entire yes. uh franchise yeah. in fact it's that i think star trek finally has its own boba fett and, nice. and that character that could be she's got um, lots of cool toys mm -hmm. she brings humor because she only does english like 20 percent of the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so she keeps calling him montgomery scotty which is hilarious to yeah me. my favorite part is when she's listening to the public enemy uh song and she's like i like the beats and the shouting yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and and it's interesting because the last movie made such a big deal about alice eve like staying on the enterprise with the crew after that adventure and she's nowhere in this movie no. um, <laughs> she's like a bond girl she yeah. must have said uh, i gotta get this stink off of me and not uh, and again see what we're talking about here is the both the success of this movie and the failure of into darkness is that it went so far in fan service i think if you take all of those Wrath of Khan, retread, flip-flop beats out of that film, Into Darkness is probably really well-liked. Yeah. Um, and this movie doesn't try to do that. They don't try to cram Klingons at you or Romulans or any moments from mm. the show that you're used to. What they do is they give you a colorful new planet with colorful new alien characters, and they give you a simple adventure. Yeah. And some of the biggest laughs are just facial expressions. Yeah. <laughs> like when they finally get that ship pushed off the cliff and it drops, and they actually get it to go, and it flies. Sulu looks at Chekhov with this, I can't believe that actually worked, <laughs> kind of face. Yeah. He had been so damn confident know, right that before that. And it's just a quick little flash, but I laughed for like 30 seconds after that. Um, Everybody's got a good beat. He's got a good beat, uh, Sulu does, right before they, they go down, where he's yeah. like, can you fly this thing? He's like, you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, okay, he's a badass. All well, right, we get it. All the hubbub over the Sulu is gay, you know, turns out to be what, you know, a very small moment. Yeah. Where he they arrive at this star base and his husband and daughter are there and he hugs them both and then they walk off. It it was nothing in your face and even if the original Sulu is not a fan, I I I saw it as a tribute to George Takai. Well, and they could have gone so much farther on that and it would have been ridiculous, mm. you know. Uh, they could have had people on the crew questioning him about it. Yeah. They could have had uh, his husband showing up on the ship and them having fights mm -hmm. and and like, well, that's okay. They fight like we do, or you know, <laughs> bullshit like that. Yeah. You know, it was the stuff that you would see in a movie where they're trying to make a character something, 
you know, and this one is not a big deal at all. Right. You know. Right. I thought it was. I thought if you're going to do that, I thought it was the best way to handle it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the Starbase, before we move to what we don't like, your town is badass. Your town is badass, but your town is also kind of Elysium, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. Elysium, and it's the thing in Interstellar at the end, and the thing and, in Guardians of the Galaxy, that yeah. planet where they all come together. But. Yes, it is badass. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, great. Earth is in peril again. Nope, not Earth. It's yeah. just a very huge space station yeah. um, that might as well be Earth uh, because they're building a new enterprise there at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. And actually, I kind of liked that shot. Uh, it's time lapse to where mm-hmm. it's spinning around the ship and you see it get built really fast. And uh, there have been so many you know, spaceship porn shots of the Enterprise in so many movies. That was a new way to give me that perspective. I liked that. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Uh, Yorktown was badass. Well, and and not only is it badass, it actually figures into the plot, which I don't think it ever did before in Elysium or Interstellar or anything like yeah. that. Uh, in this one, there's a whole thing with the gravity and all that. It turns into a really great action scene. Yeah. Um, and and that's just that's just it. Like everything in this in this movie. Uh, that that does the the you know that forms an action scene it's the it's the plot causing the action scene not the action scene ca- like not the action scene causing whatever they come up with at the moment or whatever right. it's it, it it actually has a serving to the plot rather than well let's try this and and that'll be cool and whatever this is perfect you know so many so many things that happen in this are perfect for the and you're oriented you're oriented on the planet they're in and then you're oriented typically at, at yorktown too and then on the ship and everything you kind of have an idea of where everything is like yeah they'll look at even when the dish was just sitting there and they were having to climb up and and boost the rockets where it would, it would flip over you kind of knew where the bridge was that they were getting to and then where they're all sliding and everything yeah there yeah yeah um so yeah i mean uh, I, I, I there's so many positives to this movie that the negatives really are are you know you can shrug them off well one thing that's just kind of an unfortunate timing is that i feel like anton yelton was given the least to do in this movie yeah mm-hmm. unfortunately which is nobody's fault in, t- in the sense that nobody knew who's going to die tragically uh but you know we missed the magical last great performance here in this role because they basically he's Kirk's sidekick for a while and he keeps giving Kirk updates on stuff but he doesn't really have too many great moments but you know what what is great about him and this happens in in all three of the Star Treks is he is so enthusiastic every time he get you know he's like he's like the sheep is coming in captain you know he's like it's very it's not like it's not it's he's just excited about everything and, and it's what makes him so magnetic as a performer um, well, that's why i loved him so much in uh into darkness when he yeah. gets thrust into the chief engineer role and has to deliver a lot of lines like that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um another problem i had and this is very cinema sinzy uh, it's only really a half second problem and then i put it out of my head and watch the rest of the movie but can you really ride a motorcycle over rocks that are the size of people's heads like the whole <laughs> surface there is giant rocks and he's riding that motorcycle around like it's a dirt track like i was Maybe, maybe I just no, no, no. I what, shut up. What I got in that scene where he's first riding up to to go to the enemy base is really CGI. When he's well, yeah. when he's first going up there, it's just like basically kind of fluttering in midair in the middle of it. But then it goes in that big scene with the 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 holograms and everything, and that makes it pay off like super. But it's like a quarry. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm just wondering how smoothly you could. I mean, I loved that scene. I especially loved the way that scene ends. But you know, I just don't think that's I don't think that's possible. Yeah. 
Well, and, and, and in that scene, actually, is it, there's this minor character story about Jayla and, like, you know, her family getting killed and her yeah. dad dying for him and everything. And she wants to, to go up against this second-in-command who's kind of thrown off as being... You know, suddenly a badass. We never see him being a badass before, right? And now he can punch and kick and do martial arts and things like that. And she gets to the point where she's like, "I'm going to face him mano a mano," and then he, she just kind of gets removed from the situation, and and everything's fine. Yeah, but she does hold her own with him for a while there. Yeah, yeah. All right, what else? I got, I got one thing. Okay, is Chris Pine contractually obligated to get his ass beat in every Star Trek huh. and like have a black eye? For every single fucking That's a Kirk movie. thing, though, right? Wasn't yeah. Kirk always in fisticuffs in the original Feels show? Feels like he was. He is yeah. always bruised up and bloodied and all kinds of shit, and he's always in a chokehold at some point in one of these movies. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I mean, that you may be, I mean, I don't know if you're talking about just this, but like the beginning of the movie is him at that, you know, this is the funniest part of the Yeah, whole. that's great. Him at that, the, you know, he's like giving the artifact or whatever. <laughs> and like, and like, and like two of those things, which are way smaller than we thought they were, <laughs> happen to get in on the ship and they start running around. And like, there's that montage that's just so funny to watch because you're sitting there like he's talking about like, yeah, feeling episodic, blah, blah, blah. And there's like, you see a, a scene of these guards running. <laughs> and chasing them down the hallway and everything. That's one of the best visual jokes. The You thought they were huge, but they're small yeah, that yeah. I've seen in ages. Because yeah. I was not even wait, ready for a joke. I, yeah, I just yeah, thought I we're kicking either. off an action sequence yeah. and they're coming after him, but then they turn out to be the size of little monkeys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see you can see a lot of the Simon Pegg influence in this in this, um, in this this movie. Yeah, you can. Um, I mean, that's a good thing. I yo, think. no, it's a very good thing. There's a lot um, of good beats. Like when he's like, uh, when he's saying, so you gave your girlfriend a tracking device. Right, yeah, yeah, and he's got oh that just expression of like, okay, he goes, yeah, that, that was, was not my intention. That, that was not my intention. intention. <laughs> that was what was so great about it was that it's like he's like you gave him a home. He's like, you're right in his head. You can see him. You're right. That was not my intention. <laughs> well, and you get another laugh from it at the end when he gives when Bones looks at the necklace and looks at Spock and gives him a look and walks off. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm ready to say that. The, the, the theme for this series of Trek movies is my favorite Star Trek theme music ever. Yeah, yeah. Michael Giacchino? Giacchino? It's either Giacchino or Giacchino. Oh, I can't remember. yeah. That score is terrific. Um, and that's uh, he finds new ways to, to weave that theme and make it sound both familiar and like the very first notes opening. Um, it's really quiet and mm. peaceful, but it's the same. And it's it, the the chords he lays underneath that theme. I don't know if he did, knew it when he picked those that order of notes, but he can layer it with so many different sounds of minor chords, and, and it makes it completely new. Yeah, and uh, again in this movie, the score is one of the strong points. For he's three for three on these Star Trek movies. He's yeah. my favorite composer, but um, uh, I have to mention that he was great. Yeah, I think ultimately this movie succeeds because it cuts out so much clutter. It's simple, it's exciting, it's funny, it's all the things that you want in a summer movie. It may not be the best summer movie we've right. ever seen. Uh, it doesn't have to be. We're not comparing it to all the best summer movies that have ever been made. But it's the best movie I've seen this summer. Is this the best Star Trek of the new reboot? I think so. Yeah. This is better than the, I don't think so. the first one? I think it's better. I think the 2009 original is... Well, I've only seen this one once and I've seen that one ten times. But I would say that one's better. Yeah. But this one would be... Right under it. Mm -hmm. And imagine where this franchise could go if they'd skipped into darkness and done this one second. Um, you know, might be looking at 
exploding, right? Yeah. But yeah. here they're they're going to have to win back some of the fans they lost with Into Darkness. I was reading uh, in, uh, I think it's Box Office Profits that was talking about this. Um, uh, Star Trek, for as many of as they've, they've made and everything, and this one made $59 million over the weekend, which is another drop from the first and the second. Mm. Um, despite the great reviews and everything, it still dropped. Um, but uh, one thing that I read was that they've made such and such amount of movies for 500 and something million dollars. I, th- I guess it's the three movies and they've only made like 1.3 billion. They're not really making mm. lots of money. Um, they're making sure, you know, if you saw the amount of money these were making, like in your living room, yeah, that's a lot of money, but, <laughs> but, uh, but like, uh, as far as if you're trying to sustain a, a huge franchise for many, many sequels, it's not making as much as it, as something like this should to keep green lighting movies and everything. They must get some huge like home video uh, kick in or something. I, I have actually have a question about that because not only does this film have uh, five opening film production logos, <laughs> yeah. but two of them, like one looked Chinese and one looked foreign and another. I wonder if they are working with foreign markets in a way to fund the film or its distribution that helps ensure profitability. Yeah. And, and it very well may be the international on this. That's, that's helping out. I don't think they do. Very well, Alibaba was one of the production. That was one of the first ones oh, yeah. uh, was the, the production company and they're huge. I mean, they're huge internationally and they're trying to like break into the American market too. Yeah. I don't, I don't think these make a lot internationally. I don't think they're, they're as big a franchise as they are here by themselves. Um, I think the last, I think I read something that said that the last one made maybe a hundred something. The first one made like a hundred something, uh, beyond the domestic. Really? It wasn't like too much. It's never been like a billion dollar thing for a movie like this to come out. And the next one made more, but it had Benedict Cumberbatch, which is a mm. you know a huge sell overseas. Um, so so these have never been like huge internationally. Either. That's weird though, because it's got such an inclusive storyline and narrative, yeah. you know, of of like you know aliens and international and things yeah. like that. And that's always been the thing. You'd think that this would be a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, you would think, and I don't know. I, I guess it's just that Star Trek in in it on its own. It, most people are like, well, I don't know anything about Star Trek or I don't like Star Trek or it's very American, uh, even though it's got all these creatures and stuff like that or whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't think What's it's weird. Ever- the yeah. only reason I'm sorry, I cut you off. The only reason I think we even reviewed this is because I told you I was going to see it re- regardless because my wife wanted to see it. And she had reminded me we've seen all three of these Star Trek movies together. She's never seen anything Trek. Yeah. And she saw the 2009 with me almost dragged her there and she loved it and yeah. she loved this one and she loved into darkness and so there is something these new movies are doing for an audience that was previously either not interested or not aware of track and i think you can watch at least the first and the third one with having no knowledge of track whatsoever and enjoy it yep uh the second one is so much fan service that i mean it, it for better or worse like if you have knowledge it's probably better when i watch into, into darkness which i still enjoy watching by the way i just i just watch it until certain moments and i go yeah i wish they hadn't done that <laughs> <laughs> and then I wait for the next beat and move on. Uh, yeah, so the first one made 385 million total. And really, they, and that's wow. that's considering a cost of probably 150 million or so. Wow. The uh, into into darkness made 467 million total. 
Uh, and this one is going to make whatever it's going to make. So yeah, it's it's yeah, they're just not huge sellers ge- in general. I well, mean, there's there's your case for Star Wars over Star Trek, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> any any closing thoughts on this uh, this Trek movie? Where would you letter grade this thing? Um, I would probably give it a B plus, A minus, somewhere, somewhere around there. B plus. I would go B plus. All right. Well, uh, and you know that's, that's sad. The state of cinema when a B plus movie is the first one we've been able to really rave about all summer <laughs> yeah i mean uh, but i mean i think that if if this had come out in a summer where there were a lot of great movies we'd still we'd still enjoy this probably i, think so. I mean i i don't i don't think it I, there may be some elevation to the mean here that we're we're like oh this is just good by default or whatever <laughs> um but I, I i don't i think i'd enjoy this regardless i think it's just one of those and and ho and and maybe this will I mean it's maybe it'll get some word of mouth and it'll be a big hit although Jason Bourne's going to take almost all of its you know, I would think uh, next week uh, but I think if it I think it could find a good life on home video it's hard to believe we're talking about that with a movie that made sixty million dollars over the weekend <laughs> but that's just where a, we're a at question now. about it though if this had come out in October or even the holiday season would it be would it have done better I don't I th- think so you don't I, think. I think they, I don't know. They they came out the the main the main problem I see with this movie is that they came out with trailers that nobody liked. Yeah, and that was it. Period. <laughs> even the writers. Yeah, nobody <laughs> liked the trailers, and then and then I didn't even know when it was coming out for a really long time. Like mm. it, I didn't see any trailers for this for like it's, it's almost like Paramount was like, well, we're just not going to do any more trailers. We'll do a few when the movie's about to come out, and and the awareness of it wasn't very high. So. Uh, and they didn't know what to focus on. Apparently, in these trailers, I would have given uh, I would have given people a lot of Jayla, and I would have given uh, mm-hmm. you know th- there's some so there's so many cool things they could have put in those trailers that yeah. they decided not to. So yeah, um, I don't know, but I I am totally on board with this movie, and it's the best movie I've seen this summer. Yeah. yeah. Yep, hopefully that changes in a few days, but um, only because I really want Jason Bourne to be good. I want Jason Bourne to be good as well. I can't wait to see it. But uh, anyway, that's what our thoughts on Star Trek Beyond. Uh, we will be back uh, for another mini pod. Mini pod. Mini pod. For Jason Bourne for real next time. For uh, real. For real. But uh, that's the syncast for this. Uh, it's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Um, it's, we're seeing that also with that ice age movie that came out over the weekend (laughs) where the domestic was horrible, but they're, they don't care. Right. This is the clearest don't care about what the domestic makes that I've ever seen of a movie because it, it's pointless, but, uh, it's going to make bank overseas. It makes bank overseas. And that's, that's all they care about with that, that movie. Yeah. I saw an interesting, because we're getting really off topic here. I saw an interesting article where Matt Damon was talking about, um, movies that don't get made anymore these days, like be- Beyond the Candelabra, they couldn't get funded, um, even though they had you know all these big stars and um, and he said that Soderbergh told him um, 
the informant, if they were making it today, they'd be on HBO. Yeah. Studios just won't, oh, yeah. w- won't put 40 or 60 million into a movie like that anymore, which kind of ties back to something we talked about in a previous podcast. And maybe you should just cut this part out because it's completely unrelated yeah. to Star Trek. Um, <laughs> because Chris was in it and I almost never remember my dreams. Okay. And in real life, Chris is not a big Starbucks guy from what I, I, from am what not. I know. Mm-hmm. So the dream is me and Chris are at a table outside of a Starbucks on a sidewalk and, and we're both just finishing our drinks. Now, in this dream world, instead of ice, there are green cloth balls in the cups. And that's not what uh, that's just accepted in the dream. Mm-hmm. That instead of ice, you get green cloth balls. And I, what what I noticed is that Chris's had twice as many as my cup. <laughs> and I said, they gave you more filler than they gave me. And Chris goes, eh, it's good. <laughs> and I said, what'd you get? And you remember that episode where Seinfeld stays in Kramer's apartment and then ends up talking like Kramer, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like my, my, my friend Bob Sacramento? Yeah. Like, that's how Chris is talking. And he's, he goes, very, very hibiscus. <laughs> takes another sip. And then he goes, hey, look, it's Natalie Portman and points. And Natalie Portman walks by. Nice. That's a great dream. It's, if, if I'm going to remember a dream, I'm glad it's that because that's just kooky. B plus. <laughs> Look at all my shit.